All right, we come to our third message in our sermon series that we've been looking at, Words That Change the World. Uh, first, we looked at the words of Jacob and his blessing of his children and how the power of our blessing can touch and impact our own family and friends and lives and bring out their best. Then last week, we looked at the prayer of desperation from Hannah and how her prayer brought about a new leader for Israel as she offered her challenging circumstances to the Lord and how oftentimes our prayers of desperation can be some of the most powerful prayers we pray. And so today we conclude this series by looking at King David's last words in 1000 BC. He had gone from being a shepherd to a king and in that span of time he reflects on his life, he reflects on his legacy and as he does perhaps there is a lesson here for us as we respond and listen and learn from the last words of king david so if you have your bibles you can turn to second samuel 23 and here are some of the last things that uh, was on the heart of this ancient king these are the last words of david the inspired utterance of David, son of Jesse, the utterance of the man exalted by the Most High, the man anointed by the God of Jacob, the hero of Israel's songs. The Spirit of the Lord spoke through me. His word was on my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, When one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he is like the light of the morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning, like the brightness after rain that brings grass from the earth. If my house were not right with God, surely he would not have made with me an everlasting covenant, arranged and secured in every part. Surely he would not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire. But evil men are all to be cast aside like thorns, which are not gathered with the hand. Whoever touches thorns uses a tool of iron or the shaft of a spear, and they are burned up where they lie. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me and for me? Lord Jesus, uh, once again, this is your day. Help me lift you up. For you are truly King of all kings and Lord of every Lord. And may we welcome you to rule our hearts and lives and our family as well. So Lord, help us as we look to you for this help and grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when I chose this text to kind of end this series with, I don't know that I really knew exactly where David was going. You know, sometimes I just say, ah, yeah, I think there's something here. But as I dug into the text this week, um, what really struck me as David reflected on his life is the choice of his last words. Words he shares here had, 
had a prophetic spirit to them that this is something God had been working on in and through him perhaps his whole life long. And as he reflects on his legacy, as he reflects on his last moments of life, to me, it, it's kind of interesting that, that this is what he said. But yet, I think in some sense, he also hits the nail on the head. Because I don't know about you, but as I look around even our own community, our own national life, uh, our own world together, it's basically how our leaders go is how everything else goes too. And so here today, David, as he shares his last words with us, it's leadership that really is what he's after. He realizes after the end of his long reign that it's the quality of leadership that shapes the lives of our whole planet. And so as he looks today, maybe he was thinking about his own experience with King Saul. King Saul, who is, became a very self-centered leader, a very paranoid leader, afraid that David or others were out to get him. And he saw what Saul had become and knew that that was not the way to go. In our own lives, we can look around for all sorts of leaders and we vote for people and, and give them our vote for leadership for all different reasons. Some of them just because they're charismatic and just what they say sounds like honey on their lips. We say, ah, oh, they must be good leader. Others... We see in them just a hunger for power, a desire to, to grasp and to grow like Hitler. And in those leaders, sometimes we find that they make others the scapegoat and say, this is where our problem is. We need to get rid of these folks because if we can deal with these folks, we'll be good. But that's not good leadership. In all our lives, what does a good quality leader look like? Who are they? And how do they live out their life? Here today, David shares with us his thought. And actually, he says it's God's thought for real, healthy leadership. So this is what he shared again. He said this, When one rules over people in righteousness, when he rules in the fear of God, he gives us two leadership principles, two essential qualities of who is worthy to be raised up to leadership. And the problem is, is we don't find a whole lot of leaders with these qualities. We need more. The first quality he mentions is the quality of righteousness. In the Hebrew, it's sedek or sadiq, which is a way of saying justice. At the heart of great leaders is a heart of fairness and justice for all. I think this is one of the key qualities. That at the early service, we showed uh, the statue of Lady Justice. You know the statue of Lady Justice? What about her eyes? They're blind. What does she hold in her hands? Scales and a sword. Now here we get the image of the sword at the end of David's text, don't we? Where he talks about the evil folks and that they will be burned up like chaff. 
And part of what the wrestling of justice is is that some of us choose a path of worthlessness. We choose to live self-centered lives, making it all about us, not caring for others. And when we take that path away from the grace of God, away from the love of God, away from the love of our neighbors, it brings us to a place of worthlessness. And if we will not be redeemed, if we will not let our hearts be transformed by the love of Jesus Christ, then David acknowledges that for some there is a place under justice for the sword. But that's not what I want to focus on most. I want to focus on the rest of justice. The idea that justice is blind. Justice doesn't favor anyone. The scales are balanced, and the objective is, is to give fair play to everyone that it shouldn't matter the color of your skin. It shouldn't matter if you're young or old. It should not matter if you've lived in a community for 60 years. It should not matter if you've just moved in as a migrant. The idea of justice is the idea of fair play for all. And we don't see this a lot in our world today. And a lot of our leaders, the, our leadership is oriented toward taking care of our base. But if leadership is oriented to only protecting a person's base, you're leaving out justice for the rest of the citizens who, who maybe have a different feeling of, of different direction for the country or the nation. And so it's important, I think, for leadership, if to be a really true leader, you've got to see yourself as a leader of everybody. Black, white, Hispanic, Asian, young, old, wealthy, poor, the idea of being a right leader is one who is trying to make the decisions that they think will be best for all. And that's a hard job. But it's one that David saw that leaders were called to. And then the second thing he notes in this is he notes that in order to provide justice for all, a leader also must live life in the fear of God. That's an essential component, he says, that it's through the fear of God that a leader stays humble. I mean, I can't imagine being president of the United States or the head of Russia or e even the Queen of England, even though she doesn't have as much power as she used to. I can't imagine that, that to have so much power that you feel like you can do about whatever you want without ramification. If you want to go to war, you just say, we're going to war. If you want to change the economy, you just do what you need to do to change the economy. It has so much power to it that there is really not a lot of accountability. Now, there's more so in the U.S. with our balance of powers. But still, it's a lot of power. And in that power, there is opportunity to use it not, well, to use it selfishly. And I think one of the things David was conscious of is it's important for leaders to realize and to know that the decisions they make, the things they do, it is, there's an accountability there that one day each president who's been president of the United States knows they have to stand before the God of the universe for the decisions they've made and the choices they've shared. You know, when a president, for instance, decides to go to war, 
You know, I, I can't imagine that kind of decision. To send, uh, to send men and women, sons and daughters, to foreign lands, to, to fight, to die, to be wounded. And not just our troops, but to go to battle with other families' sons and daughters in that foreign land, to kill other enemies, but they're human beings nonetheless, and not only often them, but often the children get in the way and other uh, innocent get in the way. To have all that weigh on a president's shoulders must be one of the hardest burdens to bear. But it shows again the requirement that for great leaders, they must learn to lead in the fear of God. These two components, God came to the conclusion, the component of justice, fairness for all, the component of uh, respecting the fear of the Lord. When these two pieces are in a leader's life, do you notice how God responds to that? God says this, this kind of leader is like the light of morning at sunrise on a cloudless morning. It's like the brightness after the rain that brings grass from the earth. Now, brothers and sisters, I don't like to get up early, so I don't watch many sunrises. Maybe you do. Some of my daughters, they don't mind. They'll get up at 6 o'clock every once in a while to go watch a sunrise. I much more prefer the sunsets, you know, because... Uh, like this week, we, we're going to go to Florida and be at the beach for Thanksgiving. And you can go watch a nice sunset in Panama City out over the water. And it's only at, you know, it's right before dinner time. So it's, that's like perfect. You can watch it and then go eat. Um, but what the scripture says and what the Lord longs for, he longs for these kind of leaders. It's something that he hungers for, that he desires, because it brings out the beauty of humanity. It brings out the wonder and the mystery and the glory, like the glory of a sunrise. I wonder how long it's been since the Lord has looked around our land and said, now there is a leader like the sunrise. We've had a few, I think. For me, Abraham Lincoln would maybe be up there at the top. George Washington would be up there at the top. Others may be closer, some closer, some further. But those are the kind of men and women who I think come closest to representing this ideal for us, or for me at least. And so David continues on, and in the light of this, he goes on and says, you know what, if my house were not right with God, surely he would not have made with me an everlasting covenant. And here David transitions and he stands in awe and amazed at what God has done for him and his family. Because by this time he is sure that his son Solomon is going to rule and reign. And he's been promised by the Lord not just three or four generations of kings. He's been promised by the Lord an everlasting kingdom, a sure covenant, he says, a covenant that he goes on and says that, that it's been arranged, it's been put in order, it's been secured in every part. David trusts that God will take care of the kings that come from his line forever and ever. Now, in light of this, uh, David, I don't know if he foresaw or not, 
the trouble that even the sons of David would have in staying to be kings. Because even Solomon was probably pretty quality, but after that, things were always hit and miss. And within 400 years, the nation of Judah had been wiped off the face of the earth and sent to Babylon. The king, the line of the kings of David was at an end. And from 600 B.C. to to the time of Jesus, uh, they were looking for a restoration of kingship, of messiahship, of, of of finding the Christ, the anointed one, who would rule again. And they looked long and they looked hard until they found the one we know of, is Jesus. Now, this image of sort of missing a king makes me think of one of my favorite stories. Uh, I'm a Tolkien fan. I loved when Peter Jackson made his three movies. You remember the one that won uh, Best Picture of the Year was The Return of the King. And here Tolkien gets an image of a kingship that's been lost for years because of neglect and because of bad leadership and because of all those kind of things and longing for a a restoration at some point. And finally, Aragorn, son of Arathorn, becomes the new king. I wonder where Tolkien got that image. Maybe from Judah and David and Israel. He was faithful Catholic follower of Jesus. And so as Israel longs for a new king, Jesus comes on the scene. And brothers and sisters, 2,000 years later, we say, well, yes, he is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. Just look at our windows. Look at the window up there with the cross and the crown. And that window with the cross and the crown. And this chair with the cross and the crown. He is king of kings and Lord of lords. But brothers and sisters, remember when he was born in a manger, that wasn't known. Then it was a question mark, who is this child that has come and is born in Israel? But as Jesus grows, as he lives his life, as he does his ministry work, as he lives out a life of righteousness and justice, as he lives out his life in the fear of God, by the end of his life, by his death and resurrection especially, it became clear that there is something unique about Jesus that we find nowhere else. And in him is one who is worthy to be king of all kings and lord of all lords. In this Jesus, and that's what the gospel writers conclude as well, right? All four gospel writers agree the reason Jesus was nailed to a cross is because everybody had been convinced that he was claiming to be the king of the Jews. Now the Pharisees and Sadducees, the religious leaders said, yeah, he just claims it, but he's not really. He's not our king. But for the disciples and the followers of Jesus, Jesus was the king of the Jews. The king who died for us because he loves us. The king who conquered death and rose from the dead. The king who will reign as king of kings and lord of lords forever. And so as we conclude our time together, 
I want you to think about this. If Jesus is that perfect model from David's line, that perfect son of God and son of man, who both, because he was fully human, could die and pay the penalty for our sin, because he was fully God, he could die and then encounter the resurrection because he was the one who was completely just and fair and righteous in all of his ways. In the light of this, the book of Revelation lifts up Christ and how the leadership of Jesus should impact all of us who claim him as our king right here, right now, today, as who claim him as our Lord right here, right now, today. And so from Revelation chapter 1, in the fourth verse, we see St. John write these words, Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness by his life who was the firstborn from the dead by his crucifixion and resurrection and is the ruler of the kings of the earth the king of all kings and lord of all lords to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even though who's pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is who was, and who is to come. Here in these words, we hear that Jesus was the faithful witness. By his life, he revealed the true leadership of the Son of David. By his death and resurrection, he became the first to conquer death, but not the last. We who follow him are invited to join him in that resurrection. But then lastly, he is the ruler of all the kings of the earth. In this rulership, he is seeking to make a new kingdom. He is seeking to make a new community. And that's where we get to be a part. Amen? Notice what he says. He has made us to be a kingdom and priest to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. We are made to be a kingdom and priests to serve God, his God and Father. Brothers and sisters, what this means is, is God seeks to reorient our lives in a new direction, connected to a new kingdom, not an earthly kingdom, not even the United States of America, but a global, a worldwide, uh, a past, present, and future, eternal kingdom of heaven. We are to be reoriented, our lives, our heart, our thinking, our mind, our living, our obeying. Everything is to be reoriented in the direction of Jesus Christ so that we can then serve him as priests so that when we encounter our friends, when we encounter our family, they don't just notice Chris. But there's something in Chris I'd I'd like to get to know more about what makes Chris, Chris. And they find out it's Jesus. That's what it means to be a priest. It means to connect those around us to God 
because we are reoriented to Jesus Christ and it looks so unique and so loving and so joyful and so hopeful and so radical that, that others want to follow after. But brothers and sisters, for this to take place, we need to let God reorient us, which is not easy. In fact, as I look at the church in America today, I fear we're at one of our sickest places we have been in a long, long time. Because we have given our allegiance to either progressive causes or conservative causes, and we've let them shape our minds and our hearts and our thinking and our living. And we spend a whole lot more time with the commentators on the news or the commentators on Facebook, them feeding us their worldview rather than prayer, rather than studying the scripture, rather than seeking the love of Jesus, rather than letting Jesus be our king to shape us into a new kind of person with a new kind of mindset. We've got to quit listening as much to those lesser voices who are selling us something that is not the kingdom and is not faithful to Jesus Christ. On whichever side of the political aisle you find your home, we need to reorient ourselves to who is the King of Kings, who is the Lord of Lords. His name is Jesus. He's the one I try to follow. And by God's grace, he helps me. Now, I want to let you know in the leadership of the world, uh, you know, there aren't perfect leaders out there except for Jesus. Even King David, who had been faithful enough to earn this eternal covenant and the coming of his son uh, and God's son Jesus all in one, even King David was not perfect, right? A man after God's own heart still got caught in the trap of adultery, still ended up killing uh, Bathsheba's husband, who was a faithful commander in his army, still had a mess of things in his family with, with his kids seeking to be charismatic leaders and other kind of leaders that weren't the kind of leader that David was called to be. I mean, even the best of us get into a little bit of a mess. And that's why today I hope to encourage you. Who are we to be on this Christ the King Sunday? Who are we to look to? Look to Jesus. He's the author, the perfecter of faith. He is our king. Make sure you give him the time you need to let him shape your thinking, your culture, your choices, your life. Because any other way is a shadow, a corrupt shadow that is not faithful to the kingdom. So let's follow the King of Kings. Let's follow Lord Jesus, the Son of David, the Son of God, the one who is coming again on clouds, the one who it says we will one day see together, and in seeing him, we will see in his piercing our mourning. What does that mean? That means when we see Jesus coming, we will know at our heart of hearts what we did to nail him to the cross.
And in that, we will only be able to cry. Lord, have mercy. You are my king. I put you on the cross. But in your grace, you saved me. You forgave me. And you gave me a chance to be a part of your kingdom. So, Lord, help us follow. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.